0: Let us open in prayer. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for today. We thank you for the beautiful weather we've been having. We thank you for the sporadic rain that's been coming down. We we thank you for, for watching over us during this very weird time in our culture. And we just pray, keep us healthy, keep us safe. But Father, also let us, in the midst of all the stuff that's going on, not get caught up in the circumstances, but let us get more and more caught up in you. Caught up in your love for us, caught up in your care, caught up in the realities your promises say, that you've got us, that you love us, that we're yours. Caught up in the reality and the promises that you're working all things for the good of those who love you. Let us look at the positives and the good things in the midst of this time and not get so caught up in you know, the fear and the anxiety and the stress. And Father, that's my prayer today, and I pray that in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. So if you've been with us, last week we did chapter 15, and we talked about a, a variety of things. We'll pick up on chapter 16 this week. But just to give you kind of a I don't know, look back a little bit at chapter 15, what you see Jesus doing, and again, this is right before he's going to be betrayed. This is actually the night he was betrayed, you know, where he was turned over by Judas, and the Roman guard got him and took him to the mock court that night. All these things are going to be going down in just a matter of hours. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's saying... I want you to get these things. I'm going to be leaving soon. This is super important that you get these things, super important that you understand. He says, if you hold on to me, if you be part of the vine, if you hold on to me in the next few days, in the next rest of your life, you will receive everything. Eternity with me in heaven, my presence with you as you go through life, my strength, my wisdom, hope, all those things. It's all yours. Just keep holding to me. And then he says, it's going to be hard to hold to me, right? Because Satan and the world, they're not going to make it easy. And that's what he says in the last part of chapter 15. And he talks about the hatred of the world and how there's going to be some difficulty, persecution, people that don't support you holding to me in any fashion or any way possible. In fact, Scripture also quotes Jesus as saying this, that the reason that the world hates me is because I tell the world that what it does is evil, Right? And I guess that makes sense. How many of you guys want me to come to your house and convict you on something? You know, think about that sin that you've been kind of rationalizing or justifying or excusing in your life, and you kind of had all these things propped up. Do you want pastor really coming to your house and saying, you need to apologize for this, you need to bring it before God, it's destroying your life? He'd say, who are you? What are you doing at my house? I say, I'm a servant of God, right? He's called me to to convict you on this, to bring you back to him. And he's saying, no, no, you're a busybody. Get out of here, right? I've shared with, over my ministry, I've had the difficult conversations with people that have been living together before they get married. And and it's always a hard thing for Christians because the world just encourages it in every level. Never mind the studies that come out that say you're twice as likely to get divorced if you do that, but prior to marriage. Never mind all those different things about... God says in his word. Anyway, I have these conversations with people. And I probably have had 10 or 15 over my course of ministry. And did you know when I go and I share with them that it's against God's will what they're doing, that there's negative repercussions or consequences that can happen, all these different things, that it's better if they just could either get married, right, or, or to separate, you know, for a period of time until they get married. Every one of them, every 15 one of those couples has not appreciated my involvement at the beginning. Every one of them. But in 14 of those cases, they either did get married early or they moved out for a period of time or they broke up or whatever. And in 14 of those circumstances, I got those people that come back to me and say thank you. Because in 14 of those cases, it brought them closer to the Lord. It gave them more of an appreciation of God's truth and His word. And it made them reflect upon their relationship with him first and then upon their relationship. In one of those cases, they rejected every part of it. And they broke up and never been in church again, right? It's just hard. It's hard as you give hard truth to people. The general experience of that is not, oh, thank you very much for sharing. It's anger. It's frustration. And I think that makes sense as you look at the world. When does the world get super upset with the church? or with God's Word, or with Jesus, it's when we tell the world that what it does is evil, or that they need forgiveness in Jesus, because what the world does is evil. I mean, think about some of the things that I could say up here on the pulpit that are from God's truth, His Word, that would upset people in this world, and why would it upset them? Does Jesus' forgiveness upset anybody? Not really. His love, does that upset anybody? His goodwill, his peace, his hope that he gives, the strength that he gives to the Holy Spirit, does any of that upset anybody? No, no. So we start talking about the need for Jesus, the sin in our own life. And people start getting upset. They start getting mad. And what Jesus says here is that They can get so serious that they'll begin to persecute you. And so in chapter 16, we begin, it says, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away from me because I love you, because I want you to be with me in heaven. Guys, I've done, well, shortly, I'm going to do everything that you will ever need to be in heaven. Just keep holding to me. Keep trusting me during this time. In verse 2, it says, They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that they are offering a service to God. Almost kind of just passes over. Whenever somebody kills you, it's just kind of presupposing that, you know, that's probably going to happen. (laughs) But when they do, they will think that they're offering a service to God. Interestingly enough, only John of the disciples in that room that night would not be martyred during their lifetime. And so this was somewhat prophetic as Jesus is sharing this. But, But think about the hatred that's going on in the midst of the Jews, where they have somehow turned everything over in their head to think that somehow murder, something that God hates, He prohibits, calls it sin, something that God hates is somehow, I don't know, righteous or good or or something that glorifies God. So human sacrifice now is something that glorifies God. That's what they're telling themselves. That's what they've convinced themselves of. You have to do a lot of things to take God's word and to make it say that. In fact, I came across a a neat neat quote. It says, The Jews made their own God from the thoughts of their own minds like the pagan world around them, like the world of unbelief today. And so, because Scripture didn't say exactly what they wanted it to say, they they changed it to make it something that they did want it to say. And they excused their murder, they excused their hatred, they excused their abuse, because they just kind of switched things around in their head. It's nothing that God would have approved of. It's nothing that God had said. It's just something that they convinced themselves of. And I started thinking about that. I said, "Where do we see that kind of hatred in the world today?" And I, I think you see it in Islam, don't you? I mean, they actually have at least the extreme form of Islam. They have taken some of the words of the Quran and they've taken them to heart. In the Quran, it says that um, Christians should be subjugated, if, or if not terminated, if they don't bow to, you know, Allah. So some of them have taken that to heart and have pretty much gone through the Middle East, killing Christians today. Convinced that by doing so, they're being obedient to Allah because of the Quran, obedient to what he says, earning themselves glory in heaven and all sorts of different things. They've somehow taken God's truth, perverted it to somehow justify their actions. Now, why would Islam hate Christians in this way? Well, throughout history, right from the very beginning of, of, of Islam, Christianity has looked toward that and called it a cult. Cult just means that's a group of people that are lying about God. Now, do you like guys, do you like being called a liar? No, nobody likes being called a liar. I don't like being called a liar. Nobody does. And so can you imagine why over the history and the creation of the Quran and all those different things, why they might put some things in there against a group of people who were calling them liars. And somehow that got baked into the bread of the Quran and we have some of the stuff that we do today. But that is a group in our world today that is persecuting Christians in mass. There's actually a genocide of some sorts going on of Christians today in the Middle East and in parts of Africa. Now, if it wasn't just and they're pursuing um, a false god Allah, right? But but what if what about the world? If you did you have any secular examples of people persecuting Christianity? Well, sure you did. You had Russia back during the Cold War times when they were pursuing communism, they rooted out Christianity from amongst their people. You have China today, actually, and for the sake of nationalism, and they're persecuting everybody, it's not just Christians, any religions. They're saying that, no, no, China needs to come first. Nationalism needs to come before God. And so they're persecuting Christians, and they're actually persecuting Muslims, too, in mass. They're putting them in sort of concentration camps, trying to get them to think differently. they persecuted people in the church. They've gotten people fired from their jobs who profess a faith in Christ above China all sorts of crazy things, justifying it, thinking they're doing something noble for the sake of the country. You see, when you just kind of make it up as you go along, when this doesn't become the ultimate source, but some narrative or some sin or something that you want to pursue becomes the ultimate source, you can see how the world's hatred can build up quite quickly. And that's what's happening today. Now, I'll even give you one more. You could say, well, both of those groups, China and Islam, they don't have the truth of God, right? So, I mean, it makes sense a little bit that maybe they'd persecute the church, but the Jews, they had the word of God. But somehow they got lost in the midst of their hatred for Jesus and they started excusing abominable things. Okay, I'm going to give you one more thing. In the, In our church body in America today, there's a group that has sort of abandoned God's Word to follow different social norms today, to follow different truths that they want to follow today. They know it says that what they're pursuing is wrong and sinful in the Word, but they just think that maybe there's been a fresh new wind that's blown in, something that God has revealed. It's a new time, a new day, and we just have to do things differently, even if it's counter what the Bible says. For those groups... If you were to continue to quote passages of Scripture highlighting their error, you would find they would get angry with you. So much so that you have groups, Christian groups, so-called Christian groups in America, that are spewing hateful things toward those that still hold to the truth today. They are sitting in judgment upon those that are actually saying, no, no, but it says this. And I don't know if you've experienced that hate, but it's, it's growing and it's becoming more substantive as the church sort of splits along the lines of those who still hold the scripture and those that have abandoned it. But that's a hatred amongst people that still have this, or at least still profess to read this, and yet in pursuit of their own agendas, they have come up with their own narrative about who God is and what he says is okay. And they excuse then their judgment or their anger toward those that still hold to His truth. So again, it says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things, he says, because they have not known the Father or me. If they truly knew the Father, even of the Old Testament, they could not justify the things that they were doing. If they knew Jesus, who, by the way, had just been amongst them, teaching them day after day, doing the miraculous, changing lives... If they had known the Father or Jesus, they wouldn't be doing these things. You could say today, even of the church that's started to walk away from God's word, that if they would hold to this, they wouldn't be doing the things that they're doing or advocating the things that they are. But I've said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told the I told them to you. So again, he's saying, hey, I just need you to know, I'm going to, The next few days are going to be rough for you guys, right? That's what he's saying. Your faith is going to be tested more than you can possibly imagine you're going to see the hatred of the world come upon me in spades. And right now, they're just they're hating on me. I'm the focus of who they hate. When I'm gone, guess who that focus is shifting to? If you say the same things that I've been saying, they're going to hate you too. But right now, it's all on me. And you're going to see the wrath of Satan. You're going to see the hatred of the world poured down upon me in the next few days. And you're going to just be kind of freaked out about the whole thing in that moment of being freaked out, in mourning, in sadness, and they're all pretty sad as he's going through these things. Hold on to me, and I'll get you to the other side. But I need to tell this to you now so that you know what's coming ahead. I, I need you to be prepared so that when all this happens, you'll go, oh yeah, Jesus told us. Now, you could entitle this whole section um, Perspective Shift. I'm actually doing a, a sermon series called Perspective Shifts," starting, I think, next week. Um, in the morning session but but the reality is this is kind of a perspective shift too because even as i've shared all this with you jesus is going to say okay now i need you to take a step back and i need you to understand all the stuff that you're going to freak out about all the stuff that you are now sad about worried about stressed about all this stuff it's actually for good like this stuff it seems horrible but it's actually for good. It's actually so that I can give you everything I promise. It's actually so that you can be with me in heaven for eternity, so that you can be forgiven for your sins, so that you can have hope in this life, so that you can have me every single day. It's actually a great thing. I'm so excited about this, almost. You could hear him saying, but it's going to be hard, right? Because you're, you're not going to probably get it based on how you're reacting right now. So just think of that perspective shift as I go through this. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Well, it probably would have freaked him out too, but the thing is, and I just shared it before, Jesus was with them. And while he was with them, who were the Pharisees mad at? Jesus. They weren't really mad at the disciples. In fact, the disciples were like, I don't know, part of the crowd or part of the tapestry of the whole thing. They knew the disciples were there and followed him, but they only weren't mad at the disciples. They were mad at Jesus. In fact, even the prophecy that Caiaphas gave, it says, if we just kill the one man, it'll be for the salvation of all of Israel. And we're talking about killing all the followers. We just need to kill the one guy. And then there was, uh, there was another Pharisee that said, a teacher of Israel said, well, yeah, and usually if we kill the one guy, the, the followers just kind of scatter. It says that in Acts. So they're mad at Jesus. They were protected, in this sense, because of Jesus. And because he was Jesus, nothing bad was happening to him at this point. But now he says, I am going to him who sent me. And yet none of you asked me, where am, I, where am I going? Now you could say, well, that's not true. Peter in chapter 13 said, hey, you're not going anywhere. Essentially, I mean, I will follow you to death. And, and he didn't really know what he was saying. But, but Jesus says, no, 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 you're not quite getting it. You're thinking about this earth still. I need you to think about heaven. And then Thomas says, I know you keep saying we know where you're going, but we don't know where you're going. If you, we knew where you're going, we would follow you, but I don't know, I don't understand. But still, he's sharing all these things. And, and, and just as I share them with you, who are you thinking about? You. Oh, man, persecution, that wouldn't be any fun for me. You know, going through these times isn't going to be any fun for me. Going through this stress, that can't even be any fun for me. Jesus said, no, 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 remember, perspective shift, take a step back. Okay, None of you are asking me what's truly important with this. What's truly important is I am going to the one who sent me. I am going back to the Father. And when I do, you're going to be reconciled with him. You're going to be forgiven by him. You're going to be ushered into the entrance of heaven. You're going to have the Holy Spirit reside with you, giving you strength and comfort as you go through this life and wisdom you're going to have me for all of eternity. You win. You just are like the millionaires again of faith. You win. What I am doing by going back to the Father is why I am here. It's why I came. It came so that you could have everything. I know it looks bad. I know you're all freaked out, but it, it, it's more than that. It's It's way more than that. But because I said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Again, who are they focused on? Them. They're going to miss Jesus. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And why is it so important that Jesus goes away before he sends the Holy Spirit? you ever wonder about that? Because if he doesn't go away, he hasn't secured our forgiveness, our reconciliation, our our rightness with God, the entrance into heaven. He hasn't secured anything. But when he goes away, the Spirit can give all that away to whoever believes in Jesus. He gives the spirit all sorts of stuff, right? The spirit is, he is the giver of the gospel. He's part of God, right? He, he's the one that shares all the good stuff with people all the time. And in sharing the good stuff, there's also the conviction that comes from that. But, but he's about sharing Jesus. That's his whole goal to strengthen you, to comfort you, to remind you that you've got Jesus, to give you wisdom so that you understand Jesus and the gift that he brought you. He's going to send the Spirit because in sending the Spirit, he's already accomplished everything that the Spirit needs for him and go to transform the world. And if I go, I will send him to you. Now, the other thing I want you to think of is this. So, perspective shift. This is me just trying to personalize it in a weird way. If... um, Think about your spouse or think about your kids or something, somebody who's very close to you, who you know is going to heaven. Okay, so you're not even confused if they're going to heaven or not, but somebody's very close to you, very important to you. Now, let's say they were having this conver they're not Jesus, okay, but let's say they're having this conversation with you, and they're just saying, Hey, I I'm gonna I'm gonna probably die pretty soon. And but that's a good thing because when I die. I'm gonna to get to go up, and I'm gonna to get to hang out with God, and I'm gonna to get to tell God, hey, you need to bless Rendy, or you need to bless Judy, or you need to walk, you know, with everybody as they go through life. You need to help them, and I'm gonna be right there speaking into His ears the whole time. And you're gonna be so blessed by me going there because I'm gonna be, I don't know, in the front row with God, and I'm gonna be able to help influence all this kind of stuff. It's gonna be awesome. Can you see that? I, I, it's gonna be awesome. But I have to go. I have to go up there, right? I have to go to heaven to accomplish this stuff. And you're thinking, no, I don't want you to go. I don't want you to leave me. You're here right now. I don't want to do life without you because you're super important to me. I don't ever want to think about doing life without you. And that's what the disciples are. They love Jesus. And they don't just look at him as a friend. They look at him as he's the king of kings, the Lord, God's own son. They look at him as he's the savior of the world. And they don't ever want him to go. This nebulous future that Jesus keeps talking about, where he has to go to the Father, and they don't want to do life without him. And then it just seems like it's going to be harder, right? Because Jesus isn't there, and people are going to be mad at them now. We 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 don't we don't want you to go. But Jesus keeps saying, "I gotta go," because if I go, I'm going to be able to accomplish all these amazing things for you. You don't get how powerful this is yet, but but you will. And then he starts talking about the Holy Spirit's role. I'll talk about that and then we'll, we'll pick up next week on the next part of this. But at first, he starts in verses 8 through 11 talking about the Spirit's role when it comes to the world. And he says that the Spirit's role in terms of the world is three things. He says, When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of the world is judged. Hmm. So let me break that up just a little bit. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. The reality is that every person on this whole earth has a need, a deep seated need to be forgiven. Number one reason people experience stress and anxiety in our world today, depression, guilt. It's just the number one thing over and over and over. People have a need deep down need, born in need to be forgiven. And what the Spirit is saying here is that Jesus is the only one that can give you that forgiveness. What does it say in the second part of that? Because you do not believe me. So concerning sin, because you do not believe in me. And what he's sharing with the world is this. You're going to be stuck in your guilt unless you believe in me. And if you believe in me, not only do you get rid of the guilt, you get forgiveness, you get heaven, you get everything. But if you keep refusing me to stay in your sin, you put the sin as more important to me, you you put the sin as something that you're going to follow instead of me, you you refuse to believe me because you want to pursue a different path, you're going to be condemned because of that sin. You're going to stay in your guilt. You're going to experience a little bit of hell on earth as a result. And then he goes to the second part and he says, He says concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Everybody in this whole world has a deep-seated need to be righteous. Kind of a funny thing to think of. I don't mean righteous in the sense of perfect, but let me say good with your own selves, good with your own conscience, right? That, That you are... As you view yourself, generally you look at yourself and you say I'm a good person because I I mainly do good things. It doesn't mean you think you do everything that's good, right? It just means like when I self-evaluate, I do more good things than I do bad things. I I've I sort of have a sense of righteousness because I try to be generally a good person. I seek that righteousness. <laughs> so, here's the little struggle though. If you refuse to follow Jesus because of sin, and you're going to follow sin, because that's just what you're going to do, you have to somehow seek that righteousness still, which means that you have to dim the voice of God. And either you have to stop believing that He's real, or you have to convince yourself somehow He's not that serious. You have to. Otherwise, you can't live with yourself because we have this deep need in ourselves to not be viewed as horrible people, but as good people, as righteous people. But Jesus is going back to the Father and you will see Him no longer. He's just saying that that righteousness you seek, you crave, again, can only be found in Jesus because He's the one that forgives. He's the one that renews. He's the one, and I use this with the kids, but when they view you, right? God looks at us through these Jesus goggles or these Jesus glasses and what was blurry and corrupt and broken, He now sees with clarity and perfection and righteousness. Your relationship has been restored. It's been fixed. And then he goes on to this last one and says, concerning judgment because the ruler of the world is judged. So the Holy Spirit, all of us have this deep sense um because we have conscience, we have a sense of good and right, we have a sense of fair play, even though we don't always experience it, we have a sense of that that shouldn't happen because it should be more fair, more, more right, that it should be just right, in, in our world, and it's not because of sin and different things. But we have a sense and we have a fear as human beings that if we haven't been more good than more bad then our eternity, then our post-death will be something that's a little bit more scary than good. Everybody does. And what God says is the Spirit is saying that judgment can only be solved in Jesus. One sin condemns us to hell. Jesus takes not just that one sin, but all of our sins away because of what he did on the cross and what he did in the empty tomb as he rose from the dead. The Spirit will come and he has come. And he convicts the world of all these different things. But in so doing, he also shares the answer. And the answer each and every time is Jesus. It's Jesus. And in case you don't think that word's gotten out, it's on the news, right? Or it's on the TV and it's on the radio and it's on the Internet and it's in print. In fact, most common or most sold uh, book In the world, like every year since the, I don't know, since the beginning of the printing press, right? It's just been out there. You have missionaries going out all over the place in Europe and in America. You have churches literally at every street corner in Europe. A lot of them have turned into other things, but the reality is that the presence has been there. You have Christianity exploding in Africa, exploding in India. It already exploded in China. They're trying to tamp it down. It's coming back in Russia. All over the world, people have had access to the word of truth, to God's truth, to his gospel. And the general response has been rejection. But the Spirit will still convict and still go out. And then just briefly, I'll go over this last part. This is verses 12 through 15. He talks to Christians. This is the role of the Spirit in the Christians. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I mean, they're already confused. They're already having a hard time with everything he's saying. But when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you in all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. One of the things, I guess one of the ways to look at that is I don't declare to you my own opinions, right? That's why we're going through the Bible. I just want you to read the Bible. I hope you have your Bible out at home, right? I, I want you to be going through this with me to see that I'm not just pulling stuff out of the air. This is all what God says in his word. And the more and more we cling to this, the more and more the Spirit goes out and helps us understand it, helps us get what He's saying, helps us assimilate it and make it part of our lives, helps us start living our lives as if these things are true, which starts affecting our witness and it starts affecting the way people see us. And then that starts affecting the kingdom and people coming to Him. The Spirit will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you kind of what pastors do. We take God's word and we declare it to you. That's what the Spirit does every single time the word goes out. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and he'll declare it to you. So the Spirit, Jesus, God, they're all interconnected, right? They're all one. It's part of this Trinity thing that Jesus is painting here. But he's saying we're all working on the same team. We're all part of one, one God, right? One entity. And our mission is clear. We want you in heaven. We've given you our Son. And Jesus is speaking as if the next few days have already happened. Right? He's giving them that victory, that assurance, now before it's happened. He says, it, it, count on it. And when I go, don't fret because the Spirit will come. And He will help you just as if I was here. Share with you all things. Help you understand all things. Get all things. And if that's happening, it will be easier for you to trust in Me. Through the adversities, through the hardships, through the coronavirus, through all the stuff that goes on in our life today, He'll remind us that Jesus loves us, that He's got us, that we're His. Guys, have a great day today, and uh, let me close in prayer. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for just this time with His disciples. He just shared so much with them. He was trying to. I don't know, to get their focus off of the circumstances of the now and get it on Him. Get it on what He was about to accomplish. Father, as we, we deal with the circumstances today of the now, Oh, use these sermons, use these messages, Lord, to, to get our focus back on You. To get our focus back on the One that can help us through every adversity, who can be our strength in times of trouble, who can be our peace in the midst of the storm who is one that continues to remind us that He loves us, that we're forgiven, and that we're His. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for Jesus today. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.